This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production, available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I am Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. Especially after everything that happened, the insanity of Martin Luther King Day, I had an idea of who I wanted to talk with. Uh, Sirit Sohi is a very talented writer and somebody who has a good perspective on especially those sorts of things, but we only start there. We go in a lot of different places. She writes the tip-off for SB Nation. She covers the Raptors for The Athletic and writes all over the place, especially when she does her features, which I'm such a huge fan of. And so we, we do start with the Rockets and Clippers and all that, but then we get into a lot of other topics. What teams are contenders now and in the future? What we're watching for the rest of the season? Some of the development of young guys around the league, and of course the Raptors team that she follows very closely. So we go through all that. Conversation runs a little bit over an hour, and this episode is brought to you by Simple Contacts. Simple Contacts is a new sponsor of Real Jam Radio, a great way to get your vision tested less than five minutes. You can do it on your phone or on a computer, and then you can also order your contacts through them. And you can either use the URL, the promo code simplecontacts.com slash realgm or the promo code realgm for $30 off your off your order. Again, this is a little bit over an hour. It's a fun conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. How's it going? It's good. I, I feel like even though it is largely off the court, the place that we have to start is just the insanity in Staples Center on Martin Luther King Day. I mean, it, beyond being the fodder for one of the better Twitter nights in the history of NBA Twitter, it's an interesting story just because of all the complex interpersonal stuff going on between these two teams where you have lots of players that have experience with the other team and that, you know, the Rockets going through the emotions of losing a game they wanted to win. Yeah, I think... Uh... I don't know if I, I'm sure that I'm sure that uh, somebody's done this. There's a lot of great reporters in LA, but somebody's got to ask uh, ask Doc and Blake how they feel about you know their previous insistence that things between Chris Paul and, and Blake Griffin were never really that bad, and it was all overblown because uh, that did not look overblown at all. It didn't, and also all the stuff between Chris Paul and Austin Rivers doesn't appear to have been overblown either. And what always rang true to me about the Austin Rivers element of this is that it made sense to me that he would rub people the wrong way because it's a lot of the kind of elements that players just don't like. I mean, the NBA is thought of as a, as a hard meritocracy, and while Rivers underperformed relative to his talent level in New Orleans. He got to the Clippers, got a big opportunity pretty quickly, got a bunch of money really quickly, and then is the coach's son. And so if they felt that, so even if, even if it was totally on the up and up, you would get that perception of the people in the room, like especially if you're sacrificing something, and then anything below the up and up would just be infuriating. And when you think about Chris Paul, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, on some level, there's always going to be sacrifice in that situation because if he's playing, that means somebody else isn't, and that I think fairly should uh, should piss people off because, like you said, Rivers 
wasn't very good when he first came. And I know some of it, some of it's not even that, uh, some of, I mean, some of it's very transparent. Like the amounts of weird speculation that's come out about LA about trades that haven't, haven't gone down because uh, Rivers was involved. And I don't know. It's a, it's a weird situation. It always has been. And, uh, yeah, like, like I said before, you can't really blame anybody for, for being mad about it. And then on top of it, it's kind of like, look, like, you're kind of already, as much as he has improved, like, he's still kind of the butt of a lot of jokes. Perhaps, perhaps, if you're in a suit, just simmer down and sit on the bench. Like, you don't have to get involved in all this extra stuff when you're already Austin Rivers. That's a good point. And and also, in some ways, why the Blake Griffin element of this is more interesting is because that had been more rumored that was below the surface. And Chris Paul talking about Lou Williams being their go-to scorer, you know, Chris Paul knows how that was going to be interpreted. He, as somebody who has dealt with media interpretations of his statements for a long time, especially in the LA market. So he knew where that was going to go. He said it deliberately. And you also think back to the, the kind of the near misses with this team. I mean, DeAndre Jordan came about as close to leaving as anybody ever has of their own volition. And there was, I, I watched Paul Pierce on the jump on Tuesday and he was trying not to speak too much out of school, but talked about the idea that that team was more individuals than a collective unit. It's kind of seemed to me like that was more off the court than anything else. And all of that fits together for a team that just a lot of it, a lot of their playoff stuff was bad luck, you know, guys getting hurt at the wrong time, but where it never did seem like they meshed in that, in, in that way for a couple of justifiable reasons and the aforementioned bad luck. Right. I mean, I don't think we should go back and ascribe chemistry issues to, um, to all their problems. First of all, I mean, even if they were healthy, they were going up against a Warriors juggernaut. And as much as there have been times when they've matched up okay with them, the Warriors pretty much ever since Kerr got there, smacked them in the regular season healthy or not so I can't imagine a playoff matchup really going too differently for them even if they were healthy I mean you never know what's going to happen but at the same time we don't really know, need to go back and re-legislate the Clippers legacy I think they kind of were what they were they were a team that was if the Warriors hadn't come along maybe could have done something but after after that they were just like every other team in the, every other contender in the league rather that they were kind of just trying to catch up and you know chemistry issues obviously played a part in that they always will but there that wasn't like the thing separating them from from greatness or anything like that and also just now that you uh, I just remember now that you mentioned the jump just to go back to the Austin Rivers thing Paul Pierce was saying that there was a time when the uh, the Clippers were playing the Mavericks and Dirk Nowitzki went up to Pierce and was like who the hell does Austin Rivers think he is and and Paul's reaction was basically like, "Man, if you've got Dirk mad at you, there's a, uh, I mean, a lot of guys, a lot of guys get upset, but if Dirk's mad at you, there's there's something going on." And Rivers has been that guy for a long time. Swagger was probably a part of what got him to this point. I mean, you have to be talented and believe in yourself really to get to it. But there is a there is a threshold to it, and also it's a lot more tolerable in certain circumstances. Not saying they're the same type of guy with Chris Paul as good as he is versus Austin Rivers, who's more of a sport player. And Austin Rivers is probably in the top one percent of basketball players in the world. But that is different in the NBA, where it's like the top five percent, ten percent of that that can really do some of the stuff that he pulls off. And one thing that I, I've been thinking about in the scope of the Clippers, and this week has been crystallizing for this, is how sort of appropriate it is 
that their best success and their biggest failure were in the same postseason. And that was when they beat the Spurs in a wonderful series. Chris Paul has that huge shot in game seven. And then they blow the series to the Rockets. And really, that's kind of both sides of the Clipper coin, where you got to see what they could be and then why they could never be everything. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. And there was there's even some like some idea of like Clippers juju going on in there too, right? Like with with Josh Smith hitting all those shots or you know, you're you're making the right play by making Josh Smith take all the shots as opposed to anybody else on Houston. I think, you know, you'd rather have him shooting than than Harden or or Reza or like go down low. So, you know, that was was the right play, but then all of a sudden this guy who like Hawks fans used to audibly, you know, groan when he was about to pull up for a shot, he starts going off and, you know, they just can't miss. And it seems like there's nothing the Clippers can do. And you really, and on top of that, there was Chris Paul's injury, which, I mean, as much as I think what happened that series, they went, uh, Clippers went up 2-0, right? In the, in the start, or did they win? Or did they win game one and then decide they were going to rest Chris Paul because in their in their eyes they were playing with house money since they won a game against the Rockets? Chris Paul was dealing with some injuries as well, so there there was a lot going against them. But yeah, you're you're totally right in that they kind of showed everything they can be by beating the Spurs. It was you know Blake was was playing out of his mind, probably the best seven game seven game stretch or the most impressive seven game stretch that we've ever seen him play. And then you know at the end you've got Chris Paul also like just doing it in the clutch. Too. And one of the one of the underrated parts about that series is actually they had they had a, an opportunity to really like clipper that whole thing when DeAndre goaltended a go ahead shot by Chris Paul, but they ended up pulling that game out. And you know that's that's one of the sneaky forgotten moments in NBA history, and it really really could have been bad for him. And it really, I mean, it could have defined what we think of DeAndre Jordan, but uh, but it turns out it did it. And but yeah, like I mean, you're totally right. That was we really got the full range of of Clipper experience, and like I think what was it, thirteen games? Yeah, it was it was a wild run. And you were I had totally forgotten about that DeAndre play. You're right about that, and you were also right about the way that it went in that series. The Clippers won Game One. Pretty pretty comfortably. And then they sat CP in game two and lost it. And then they further vindicated it by, you know, by winning games three and four. Like that was another, that was a series where they had a 3-1 lead, but why that wasn't as big a deal then as A, it wasn't the conference finals, it was the second round. And B, because game five was the Rockets winning at home. So it's not like that was any big deal. And so then the, the way the collapse happened and because the memes hadn't happened yet because this was 2015, not 2016, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean, the Clippers... They always had that ability that to be more than the sum of the parts. If they had gone to the, the defensive approach that they used a lot of last year and stayed healthy, I think they could have been even better. And now, you know, what the other part of it that gets gets complicated is how the Clippers decided not to blow it up. Their their reaction to Chris Paul saying, Not only am I going to leave, but I'm gonna leave to go to a to a team in the conference and I'm gonna facilitate it by opting in, which actually really helped the Clippers and might be part of the reason they did that. And so the Clippers, they got Beverly, Sam Decker, Montres Harrell who's having a wonderful year in that trade. And then they, so they, so they're working from all those pieces and Lou Williams was in that trade too. And he's been huge for them, but they decided to kind of keep everything together and then add Gallinari who basically hasn't been healthy. So this isn't Clippers at the peak of their powers versus the Rockets at the peak of their powers, but that kind of leads to it being in a different place 
than it would have been if the Clippers had been rebuilding or something else. Yeah, I think when you when you look back at their their free agency, I mean, I know the easy thing always seems to, to to be to tear something down, but not necessarily easy. But as far as steps go, but when you really think about it, like the Clippers, so long as they could they could keep Griffin, the steps to them kind of finding this this place where they're competitive, but they're not going to contend for anything was actually a lot easier after after the Chris Paul trade because then it was kind of it was it was facilitated for them to be able to kind of pick it up and 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 believe that they could do it because got Griffin and Jordan two very very high level players you see enough of Griffin that you can put faith in him to be the number one guy on your team and you know I've always thought that he should have been he the offense should have been run through him when Chris Paul was uh was on was on the Clippers too and I think they would have had a lot more success especially in the playoffs if they had done that it would have just given them a lot more diversity and I think we saw some of that in in the early regular season but you know back to my point if you if you know that you can get Milos and then you can get Gallinari you can kind of you can kind of build around that and it's less steps and less complications and it was kind of like an irresistible scenario for them to just keep the keep the train chugging along as opposed to first of all letting Griffin walk for nothing would kind of suck even if you do get something if you did get something back for Paul it's just kind of that's a that's a tough thing to swallow when you have the opportunity to keep him and on on the other end you know like we're seeing it now what's the trade market for DeAndre Jordan and it would have been worse if they had been tearing things down because his like the, the Clippers would have never not had any leverage at least right now they have some leverage they can say hey you know what if we don't get a good enough offer keep the train moving and see if we can make the playoffs so the path to to rebuilding was just so much more complicated for them I think than uh, than retooling and of course you've got the new arena and everything so you know it, it's easy to see why they they went down the road that they did and the point you got to at the end is so important here is that it led them towards a path that was the path they wanted to go anyway because Steve Ballmer you know they don't want to be the other tenant in Staples Center that is the Lakers building for all intents and purposes and they wanted that and and you being a competitive team markedly helps. I mean, California is not the most amenable to arenas and all that kind of stuff. There, there are a lot of reasons why. And so the Clippers thought that would be a, a more reasonable case to make. I, I think it was. It's just that they chose to prioritize it. And the upside of that is, to a degree, they were right. I mean, this Clippers team, if they were even a little bit healthier than they have been so far, they would be more clearly in the playoff picture. And the West, one of the gambits that, that they kind of made in that was, yeah, they're probably not going to be a, you know, a competitor to win the West or to win the championship, was that it looks like the West playoff picture is a little bit lighter than it was going to be before. That doesn't necessarily mean the Clippers are, I don't think they're going to jump up to like the five seed or anything, but Memphis not being what some people thought they were going to be. Dallas, due to Seth Curry still being out. The Blazers haven't really inspired this year. And then, you know, with New Orleans, we still have to see if they're going to be healthy. So the Clippers have gotten themselves in that mix, partially because Lou Williams has been unbelievable when they were without their injuries. And so in a way, like the prediction that Balmer and Lawrence Frank and Doc made was right, even though it didn't look, that decision looked more accurate two months ago, three months ago, than it did a couple weeks ago when it looked like the the wheels were falling off. Well, we still got some time before things are set. And this, I think the trap they fell into is if healthy. Like, if healthy, this team has 
a mid-level ceiling, at least playoff-wise. But, I mean, that's with this team, that's such a big gift. And there's still so many games to go. And it's still, I mean, it's pretty tight. Right now, right, I mean, right now they're ninth. And, and they can they can get in there. But um doesn't seem like Denver's going away. So, I mean, it'll kind of be between, like, those four teams. But, uh I don't know. It, it can still it can still fall apart with any injury with them, especially if something happens to to, to Blake again. Or I mean, you know, maybe Lou Williams can carry them. But uh, you know, there's still a lot of games to be played. So I, I'm I'm not really comfortable saying that they made they made the right call yet. Yeah, I, I still think they if they had moved quickly and gotten down towards the bottom, I actually think they also could have done that by including some of the players that they acquired in the Chris Paul trade in future trades. Uh, that they could have gotten the asset base to be better really quickly because one of the unusual elements with the Clippers is that they do owe picks in the future, but those picks are really heavily protected. So if they had pivoted and just been bad for probably this year and next year, they I think they could have gotten to the point where they could have been really good. They could have cleaned their books next summer. I don't know who would have necessarily been interested. They also could have theoretically been in the mix for Paul George, especially if they said, hey, we're going to be able to bring in another Max guy next summer. I think that major markets should consider doing that more often, especially even secondary teams in major markets. I mean, I've argued for it for the Knicks and the Lakers forever. But the Nets and... The Clippers at a certain point too, because we can, they before right now could rely on bad management for those other franchises. So we'll see where it goes from here. I wanted to add, I totally agree with you when it comes to, to thinking that major markets should be making those moves more often. That's actually something I wrote about right, uh, right before the Clippers signed Milos. Running it back kind of showed to me that they didn't have enough confidence in what they built as like their franchise's brand or, you know, whatever you want to call it over, I guess, over the Balmer era. Because if you had that level of faith, you probably would have done things differently but I think they kind of just felt like they they didn't have the cachet to rebuild yet without completely becoming irrelevant and I don't think that's true I think you know first of all they've done they've done a lot of work in the Griffin era to to get rid of that perception and the owner that created that perception is gone too and you know it seems like they pumped a lot of money into into just player development things and uh you know their facilities and it seems to be I've never been there but actually I have been there but it, it, it's been years but uh, it seems like very like tech savvy and you are in LA you know maybe there are players who don't necessarily want to play with the Lakers who are a little bit turned off by the whole LeVar thing I don't know if that's a thing that really affects too many players but there's always the chance that you know when you're looking when you're looking at it and maybe you even keep Griffin in this instance but don't necessarily make all these other other contract offers and maybe somebody's saying hey you know what Blake Griffin is a pretty pretty good guy to have as your second guy and there's no drama and kind of fly under the radar but still live like a pretty great LA lifestyle and uh you know the infrastructure was in place for them to do that I think they said it and uh you know it was kind of disappointed to me to to not see them go that way. Me too. And they have a lot of that also with the idea that the Lakers were so and have been so gung-ho about 2018. I really want to see if I, I mean I just published a piece for the sporting news about how they can get two max slots but I want to see what the Lakers do if they don't get the right guys this year will they wait are the, is the new management with Palenka Magic and and now do the genie has so much control are they patient enough because we don't know who's going to be available in 2019 either it might be Clay might be Kawhi who knows like it, it's it's a little bit too early for that but I don't think Kawhi's going to be available that's my instinct a guy that is forgotten as he's on the the LA fringes. This has been an argument before. He's from Riverside. I consider that like an LA area kid, but it's anyway. And so 
so if the, if let's say the Lakers were impatient, which is a good bet to make because that's just their franchise history, then the Clippers could have really been in the right spot. They could have done that. And who knows? Maybe Paul George would rather be with the Clippers of the team he actually grew up rooting for. He didn't grow up a Lakers fan. And that would have been a possibility. So I, I think they kind of sold, as you said, they sold themselves short. And it's not the biggest thing because it would have been hard for them to to really retool and become like a championship level team anyway or something like that. But all of those things matter. want to take a quick moment to tell you about a new sponsor for Real Jam Radio and one that I'm really excited about, Simple Contacts. And Simple Contacts is a great idea at solving a problem that many of us have to deal with. I do it in a different way because I wear glasses, but those of us who have vision issues and who need corrective things have to deal with vision tests. And vision tests are often cumbersome. They take time. You have to schedule it and hopefully it works. I actually had to deal with this recently when I had to, when I got new glasses that I had to go through a whole thing because it was under a, uh, under a time constraint. It became a whole to do. And simple contacts would have been an amazing solution to that because you can get a five minute vision test from your phone or your computer. It is reviewed by a licensed doctor and then you can receive a renewed one year prescription and reorder your contacts. So it is a less than five minute test. It gets reviewed by licensed ophthalmologists. The test was designed by doctors. And so then you take that idea, which is something that I identify with personally, and then you combine that with the choice of all of the contact lens brands that you're familiar with and the support with, uh, they're going for 100% satisfaction and cost. The vision test is only $20 and that can be a lot more expensive. I mean, can be in the hundreds easily, depending on whether you have vision insurance or not. And a lot of us, including myself, do not. And their contact lens prices are fantastic and standard shipping is free. And on top of all that, you can and I love this, that is either a URL or a promo code. So you can either go to simplecontacts.com slash RealGM, or you can enter the RealGM promo code, and you get $30 off your first order, which is fantastic. So again, that is simplecontacts.com slash RealGM, or RealGM, whichever one makes you happy. And you can try it out. That also tells them you came from us. Hopefully they will keep advertising for us. And vision test, you can reorder your contacts. It's a pretty fantastic service to have it all in one place. And also we want to make sure to note that it is not a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam, but you can still get your vision checked and everything else. It's, it's absolutely fantastic. So check it out, simplecontacts.com slash RealGM or just the RealGM promo code for $30 off your first order. The other, the kind of the other thing I wanted to talk with you about, which I just find so fascinating about this year, we're past the halfway point now. The Warriors are the Warriors. We haven't even really seen them too much at full strength, but a lot of the other teams that are in the discussion for potentially winning a championship, we haven't really seen them at full strength or we haven't seen it for very long. The Rockets, CP missed a bunch of time. Harden just is coming back from this hamstring injury. Isaiah's been out. Cleveland has been going through all this stuff. The Celtics aren't going to have Gordon Hayward probably back this season. And so in some ways, that's a bad thing just because you're building up the excitement. But in some ways, it's a good thing because we're going to see these teams round into form, assuming they can get healthy as opposed to stay healthy. We'll be able to see that and they'll be kind of rising as the playoffs get here. Yeah, it kind of, uh, I, I feel like it kind of gives... Uh, something to look forward to. I was going to say that it kind of puts a puts a damper on this part of the season, but we actually had like the best 
form of entertainment happen two nights ago. So I can't necessarily say that, but it, it, it's interesting because it makes you think a lot about, about team building and some of it is injuries. But when you look at things that are what's going on in Cleveland, it really makes you think about, hey, like the, it's more than just like putting putting a bunch of people together. And even in Houston, it's not like... Like, how quick was everybody to, to believe that James Harden and Chris Paul got into a fight, you know? Like, it really makes you appreciate the Warriors and that they've been so dominant over this stretch because, I mean, they haven't been healthy. And obviously, like, even when they aren't healthy, they still, they're still far more talented than pretty much any, any other team in the league. But, you know, they've, they've got this built-in continuity that I don't think any of the other contenders in in the league really have because of how much retooling there's been all season i feel like we've kind of been waiting i mean we waited all off season to see how all these changes would uh would affect the league and we're still kind of just laying in wait here and i think like the one team that's probably handled it the best is is boston and you know granted they had from day one of the season to to deal with it whereas everybody else has kind of dealt with like nagging stuff and this guy's out now this guy's out so it's, it's a bit of a different scenario but you know i, I still feel like everybody that isn't the Warriors or the Celtics is kind of just like this amorphous thing that I have to wait and see uh, and see what's going on. And I think a lot of people feel the same way. It also combines with the earlier trade deadline and just the structure of these teams that I don't think we're going to see much movement for the franchises at the top at the deadline kind of in this stretch because A, they don't want to, you know, they don't want to give up a ton of assets if it's not going to make you meaningfully better, really up your chances of winning the championship. Because like as great as Boston season has been, even the most optimistic Celtics person would say their chances of winning a championship are better next year or two years from now than they are right now. And so like why give up assets to change that? Also, it'd be hard for them to do it. And with Cleveland, it's a lot more complicated because of that that Nets pick and LeBron being non-committal. And LeBron has earned the right to be non-committal, but he has also, by virtue of that, not earned the right to complain if they, Cleveland doesn't use that asset to get better this year because they're, they have to play two games at the same time. And I understand that. And so I think we're going to see a largely stable situation there, but we're still going to be learning what these teams have. And then something else that I'm going to be really excited by for the rest of this year. So you have all those teams and that's going to be, you know, worth watching is the next group below and who shows that they have maybe not the the ceiling to make a big dent this year, but when you're watching them going, oh, they're going to be coming. And so you could think of teams like the Bucks now that that Bledsoe is more fully integrated on this team. The Sixers, depending on how healthy, though, they're going to be missing Redick for a few weeks, and that's a concern. The Wolves have been playing fabulous basketball the last few weeks. OKC can come on. And so who of those kind of teams says, not only are we interesting this year, but next year, the year after that, you need to be thinking about us. And there are going to be a couple, but I don't know who it's going to be. I mean, I think the Wolves have really cemented themselves as that team. Everybody else is kind of still floating around potential, I think. But, I mean, Minnesota's a four seed right now. They've got tons of upside. Towns is seemingly, it seems like he's just getting better, especially defensively, like pretty much every game at this rate. So they're they're really the team that sticks out to me and that they're kind of scary now, but they're going to be really, really scary in the future. And, you know, everyone else kind of like, they're fun stories. I love watching Philadelphia play. Ben Simmons has probably been one of my favorite players to watch this season, but 
you know, there's still there's still so much to figure out, and there's the whole fault situation. It doesn't really give you too much faith in uh, in their front office, or at least, well, ha- like you kind of have to have have to have some pause there when you when you look at what's going on. And uh, you know, and what was the other team you said? Uh, the Bucks. Like that's that's another situation where you don't really know what the like. We don't know. First of all, the coaching situation could very well change. I think they need a lot more shooting around Giannis. They so definitely have to make some changes. So they're not really a team that I think is like anywhere close to its final form. Not to say that Minnesota is. I think you know they could definitely use some offensive refinement, even as like they are solely starting to figure out the defense out. And they are they are young and they had a lot of turnover with their uh, with their starters, so that was to be expected. But you know they're probably the closest to looking the way that they sh- they should look for the next five years. I would agree with that. And another team that is. I would say probably below this, at least for right now, that hopefully they get better sooner is is the Nuggets. And so the Nuggets, what makes them different is they've been without Paul Millsap for all this time. He got his cast removed recently, but... I haven't heard anything that the projections last I heard was that it would be after the All-Star break. So that's still a ways from right now. And what's going to be interesting with them is, so at the beginning of the year, Millsap had some nice defensive moments, but their offense was really disjointed. And whether it was because of that or, you know, there's all these things being together, Jamal Murray was rough at the very beginning of this year. He's really come on and done a really nice job over the last little while. So if they can piece all this together, if Millsap can become a smaller cog in the offensive machine, but then still be good defensively, they could be a team that other West Western Conference, like the top half, doesn't want to play. But it's probably not going to be the year that they are more than that. So I want to see where they where they fit in with all this. And now with the the news that came out today that we don't know how long Kawhi is going to be out, but basically that it's you know it's extending is is really not great. But that's more of a long term play. And so I want to see what the Nuggets are, and of course I want to see the Spurs at full strength whenever the whenever the heck that happens. Yeah, I I love watching the Nuggets play. Like they're 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 on the top of my random league pass like not too much going on type of night like it's always gonna like just watching watching Jokic operate and the way that he's even changed changes game up a little bit this uh as the season has gone on I know he's resisted being a scorer but you know just little moments where he's actually not always looking to, to pass out of the soft doubles and whatnot like it's it's really fun to watch him grow and then obviously when he's when he's passing the ball it's just fantastic like I was watching them play last night and he got a he got an offensive rebound and like passed through people's shoulders to get to get a three for Harris and like you know it's just it's just stuff that you don't even expect and like you can tell like defenses don't expect it too like it was such a great pass that I ended up rewinding it and Wes Matthews is there who's probably Dallas's best defender and you know he's he's a very active active defender and he had his arms down because you just don't imagine anybody making a pass from the angle that he was at on that play but Yoko just does things like that it's honestly so fun to watch but to your point about about the Nuggets and what they're going to be with uh, with Millsap, I think they were starting to to sort of figure it out and get like a bit of a high low game going. I think their like their problem was kind of like pick and rolls didn't really work with them at Millsap with Millsap at the four because you could just I mean most teams can just switch that and not really have to worry about it too much. But they were sort of starting to find a rhythm, I thought, and it was kind of I mean it sucks that he went out and I'm I'm looking forward to watching them when he comes back and especially because of the defense because that's kind of the that's kind of the thing with the Nuggets. I mean they're a fun watch. But uh, 
defensively in the playoffs, there's just no way that team's going to hold up. They have too many weak guys, and you, like as like as much as I love Jokic, he's just the easiest guy to isolate and put on put on an island. And the way that they're switching them nowadays, like, I have some questions about what Michael Malone is doing for sure. So I mean, I'm excited to see what they're going to be, but you know, it's. I don't really have too much confidence in them this year as more than a first round out because of their defense. Next year could be really fun for them. Just if they if they have that offseason and time to figure this out because they have a lot of talent and the rest of the team is figuring out. I mean, Gary Harris already got this way last year and, and Will Barton has gotten there too of how to play with Jokic. And I think they're doing a better job this year of playing without him too. And they're just get, kind of getting into places. Some of that being Jamal Murray being a little bit better has, has really helped them. And so you think about like kind of reaching the critical mass of talent. I don't know exactly how they're going to manage their salaries, which is unfortunate just because they have a lot of money tied up in players that aren't necessarily helping their team win right now. But I'm excited about that. And, and so when you look at this and they're like the teams that are coming up and a lot of new playoff teams probably this year. And the fact that most of those should be better next year than they are this year. The Thunder are kind of the awkward one there because we don't know what Paul George is going to do. But Paul George, it sounds to me like he's going to be in the Western Conference on a playoff team either way, whether it's them or whether it's the Lakers probably. Like the Lakers, if they add Paul George, I think they're a playoff team and they're probably adding somebody else too. So you have all that going on. And then the other kind of underrated part of it, and there's a reason for this, but the fact that Toronto has been as as great as they have been for most of this season, and DeRozan's having his best season, their bench play has been so much better. I, I think that it gets somewhat undercounted for the same problem that some people have. Like, oh, well, if the Warriors are the favorites to win the championship, it's not that interesting. Well, Toronto is a story, whether or not you think they're going to win the Eastern Conference, because they've unlocked something that they didn't have before with largely similar personnel. Yeah, I think the thing I've been saying about Toronto all season is, well, not all season, but ever since they really kicked things into gear, is that to to delegitimize what they're doing and say, let's wait until they do it in the playoffs. I think if you say that about every team, and that's kind of just your philosophy, I think that's fair. But I think if you're singling out Toronto, I think that's just superstition. Like, I think it's kind of just like saying they're cursed or something. Because this, when you when you go back and look at Toronto's playoff failures in the past, you could go back into the regular season and kind of track a straight line between it. They didn't pass the ball very well. They were too reliant on on two guys, on their two stars, DeRozan and Lowry, and those guys were playing heavy minutes, especially Lowry's, uh, considering his age and, uh, and and how much wear and tear he, he gets over the year. Like, he's one of those guys that, you know, when he's on the floor, he's playing both ends, and uh, there's really no breaks for him. He's a very intense player when he's on the court so it's all the more reason that he shouldn't be on it for for a very long time when you're when you have playoff hopes so I think like there were there was precedence for you know assuming that that they were gonna not be good in the playoffs but now you're looking at a team that has really really reduced the minutes on minutes load on the stars because of like you said that uh that, that bench that they have and uh you know they are passing the ball like they've never passed it before they have become incredibly tough to guard I think I've probably like probably Philly is the team that I saw kind of kind of guard them the best and some ways that was because Lowry was uh was coming back from an injury and he was he was pretty rusty but they were actually like you know teams are starting to catch up to it they're guarding for the pass and they're really long and, ath- and athletic so they could kind of get in uh get in Toronto's 
Toronto's way. And, you know, Toronto was super off that game too, even for the shots that were open. But, you know, not to delve too much into one game, but I haven't really seen too many teams really be able to figure out Toronto's offense in the in the regular season. And in the past, it used to be that Toronto was actually the number one, like, comeback team in the NBA they'd always they'd always like get into these big deficits and then come back later and I think a large part of that can be credited to the fact that at some point DeMar and Lowry would turn it on we're just not seeing any of that this season I understand that it's the same personnel and you know I don't want to sound like too much of a homer but this team is is uh it's different it's not like the teams of the past and I, I mean, you see it. When, if, the the easiest counter to the people who are like, "Oh, let's do it before," is just watch them play. I mean, they look like a different team out there, and the way that the support pieces make more sense now. They are starting Valanciunas, but he is generally not finishing games, which has been true in the past as well. But it, but they understand now what works well for them, and they do still need some more pieces. I mean, I understand why Patrick Patterson isn't there anymore, but. They do need that guy who can play the other forward spot if they're sliding a Baca to center. But they have a lot that's really good there. They're deep. And the way that Casey has been able to, especially when they're at full strength, manage their rotation by making sure the best players are on the floor, the Van Vliet minutes with another point guard, I think, have generally been pretty good, partially because Van Vliet can, can shoot, he can play off ball, he can play on ball. And some of that gets dissipated a little bit because depth is more valuable in the regular season than the playoffs, unless it's like your top six, seven, eight guys. But still, we're seeing a different Raptors team, and the defense to me has been better. And so, yeah, I think there are reasons to be supportive of it. And that doesn't necessarily mean like I think they have a they definitely have a better shot at beating Cleveland than they did last year, or than to me than they did two years ago, assuming health. But they're a better team, they're a different team, and so I'm not going to hold that all the way that all the way against them. It's in the back of your mind. It's always I mean you can't take it away, but we shouldn't discount what they're doing because of that. Right, right. And you, and you bring up an interesting point. And the, and the one reason people should have questions is the rotation. Obviously, this isn't going to be the same rotation that they'll have in the playoffs. I think the answer to that, that forward sliding into, uh, into the Patterson spot, even though, you know, maybe you give up some defensively, but you can move OG on an to the four and have CJ Miles, uh, start at the at the three and then I don't really think you're you're giving much up or you know if you need the defensive matchup then you have norm so I, I don't think they have too much of a problem sliding that uh, that forward in it's just a matter of we haven't really seen CJ Miles play too much so we don't really think of him as that guy but I think he very well very well could be that guy and the other thing the other big problem is that lineup that they're starting with right now is probably not going to be the lineup that they're going with in the playoffs so I think there are definitely some fair questions there but I mean like we see in the past that lineup is really good like when when the Raptors play small they are destructive on both ends there's and now they're the way they're able to switch when they play small is uh it's just super impressive it adds another layer of into to the team that again like like we said that wasn't there last season so you know I think as much as that stuff uh definitely does raise questions especially against a team like Cleveland or Boston I think mostly I don't know I kind of go back on back and forth on who I think is the most dangerous uh out of them just because I mean when you watch Cleveland in the regular season it's kind of like one of those things where as much as you know not to trust what you're seeing it's you watch it over and over again you kind of start to right I've been able to, with Cleveland, just be able to separate out what is relevant and what isn't just through experience at this point, because we've been through this so many times. And so, you know, the idea that the effort and having Wade on this team exacerbates it even more because Wade's defensive effort 
is so dramatic in terms of a shift. We saw that last year, even with, with Chicago, where he when he acted like he cared, he went up there. Something I was thinking about as you brought up the CJ Miles thing, which I agree with you that that's probably the answer to how they play in crunch time, is that there is not a team right now with the way that Cleveland has changed rotation now that Kevin Love is primarily playing center and they're using Crowder and LeBron at those positions. There isn't a team that plays another guy at the four, you know, so like at those kind of the the three, four, five, there isn't a team that has three guys there that all make you work and freak out, especially through physical strength. Like they don't have a Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan combination or anything like that because Boston, they're largely playing with either Aaron Baines, you know, Aaron Baines, Tatum is having a wonderful year, but that's not the type of strength he is. He's a different type of good player. And so that that's them. Miami, they're always going to be playing one guy that's not freaking you out. Milwaukee's going to be playing one guy that doesn't freak you out. So that limitation that CJ Miles brings to that isn't as big of a deal because you could just put him on the other guy. You have OG on the best kind of forward threat. You put Serge Ibaka at the five and then you put CJ Miles on the other guy and you're not going to get killed that way. Yeah, and I mean, if you need even more defensive cover, then you switch Surgeon for for Pascal Siakam, who can really I mean nobody does a great job on Giannis, but you know he's kind of the prototype to to do things like that. So, and then you can't. I, I know he can't shoot, but if you only have one player on the in your lineup that can't shoot, that's not such a bad thing. Agreed. And again, like if, even if you want to go a little further down, like yeah. And he, again, he's another he's another guy. Sorry, that gives them a lot more uh, a lot more switchability than uh, than Serge does. As much as he can switch onto certain certain matchups, he gets into a lot of trouble. And then it kind of you kind of get into a situation where then if you have him on the floor, Demar is pretty much the only guy that you don't really want switching. And if he's switching between two and three, or even like certain ones, it's it's not too big of a deal. You just don't want him in those like big small pick and rolls. And you know, astonishingly, it's it's kind of okay to have Kyle on those guys. Like he's he's got a very strong base, and you know he he always fights and you obviously don't want that having happening consistently but in these spot times that you accidentally switch Kyle onto uh onto a bigger guy like it's I mean it's almost it's almost in a sense like there are times when you're just playing chess because every every big guy thinks that they can take like Kyle's probably like generously listed at six feet tall and then you know they don't really end up scoring very often yeah I mean the the concern is uh, I mean, also in terms of rim protection, so help defense rim protection. So if Serge Ibaka, if Serge Ibaka is the guy to be that, uh, that's certainly there. But Siakam isn't certainly as capable there. And then if you're getting Ibaka out on the interior, like basically the idea is how much dribble penetration can you prevent? Because if you can prevent it, then it's not really that big a deal. And switching can help with that, of course, all that kind of stuff. So I don't, I don't think the Raptors should be freaking out about that. There might be certain moments where you want to go into other alignments. I mean, you could even use Siakam in place of CJ Miles. That's another option just to get more defensively. Or Norm Powell, like just different things. I mean, I think you want Miles' floor spacing. I think that the benefits there are worth it. And something that's different about the East this year is I think the top eight is just stronger, especially five through eight is stronger than in prior years. But all of those teams have weaknesses. So who faces each other is going to really matter. Like I think this year more than any recently it's not just about, you know, getting the best seed possible. It's going to be about seeding and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I actually, I have a question for you. Who who do you want most to fall out of the playoffs so that Philly can get in? So, I mean, I would say that the teams that, you know, so the top three are the top three. They're getting in whether you want to or not, but I, of course you do. So then Miami, Milwaukee, Philly, Washington, I think those teams are all really interesting. So then basically to me, then the choice that you're making is between the Pacers and the Pistons. 
And both those teams have some merit. I think the Pistons at full strength are a fascinating team that has played a lot of the good teams very well. They beat Boston already this year. They played Cleveland tough for years. And I, I don't remember anecdotally how they've done against the Raptors. But the problem with the Pistons is just that the long game with them is, is really different. You know, it's just Avery Bradley is going to be a free agent. So I think they're going to bring him back, but going through all that. And and the Pacers, you know, they're young and interesting. So I think the Pistons would give those teams a better series, but I'm more interested in what the Pacers are and what the Pacers will be. So I'll guess I'll say the Pistons out, but both of those would be plenty of fun. Okay. Yeah, I think I, I think I would end up going with, uh, with the Pistons too. Even though, I mean, the one interesting thing that Drummond really poses is that, like, he he will force teams to, to, to play bigger and most uh, – you know, most of the teams in the East, their best lineups are small. I think almost every team in the East, their best lineups are small. So that could be that could be really interesting. And I was thinking about that. But other than that, like I, I think I, I would rather see Indiana. And in. I think Victor Oladipo is just so fun. Seeing him in the playoffs would be be great. And I think they have a lot more upside and just a lot more of an exciting story. But and you know that said, like I really, really want Philly to get in for the same reasons too. And playoff Embiid, if he can, I mean, I don't know, is he going to be sitting out playoff games? Like we'll see. But uh, uh, this is true. There are no back-to-backs in the playoffs, so that does go in their favor. And with the Sixers, one of the reasons why they're at a different level, also because they're really young, is because they are one of the only teams in the bottom part of the picture, because it doesn't look like they're going to get a top-four seed. I mean, they would have to be going insane for the rest of the year to do it, is that they have the, a guy who could potentially be the best player on the floor, not against the Cavs, but against a lot of their teams. Like Embiid, is, he could be a defensive player of the year if he can ever be on the court long enough. I mean, I, I, don't, I haven't thought about yet whether he where he's going to be there for me moving forward. They have that with him. Simmons is still figuring it out. I mean, he's he was great at the beginning of the year, hit a rough patch. That's not really a surprise. But having that guy is crazy. Like, I was talking about it a little bit with Tim Bontemps the other day, and it was like, Embiid is not the all-around player that Kyrie Irving is or that Al Horford is even at this point. It would not be outside of the realm of realistic possibility for Embiid to be the best player on a seven-game basis for a theoretical Sixers-Celtics series. Like, that's possible. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it's possible. And that is amazing. Yeah, I mean, I've this is something I, I, I go back and forth with, with people about. Like, I, I kind of just pose it, so I'll, I'll do it here, too. Like, if you were... If you were, and my answer is Embiid, and I, I don't know how, I don't know if that's controversial, how uh, how people would feel about this, but uh, if Embiid did not have his injury history and was like a generally healthy, healthy player, I think I would take him over Giannis. It's tough. I, I think I would take Giannis because he has the ball in his hands more, and that's just so important, but you can build a great team around Embiid incredibly easily because he's just he's a five that can be a game changer defensively can stretch the floor a little bit I think that he's a little bit more confident right now in that shot than it actually goes in but it's a close it's a closer call than I think some would admit but of course you have the the caveat of like if healthy is just so big for them just like it is for the Clippers but but yeah it's an it's an interesting right right just more like in in an imaginary hypothetical world right like where well, and, 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 and the other idea with, so Giannis is spectacular and he's, I wouldn't say he's an MVP. He, he's in that realm where it's like he'll get votes for MVP, but he's probably not going to win the award. So I don't, I've never been good at figuring out how to talk about that. But with Embiid, you can put really good players of basically any variety next to him because even though he's not the greatest shooter in the world, he's a good, a, 
a very good shooter for his position. And that's a, a big difference there. So, like, as long as you get guys that can play, you can make stuff around him. And that's what the idea of with Simmons and Covington that was so intriguing was it looks like those are two guys that can play and why they've been so great when Reddick's been able to be on the floor because Reddick is, of course, in that conversation as well. So you can do that with them in a very different way. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it kind of it gives... Like, let's say, for example, that that Ben Simmons was on Milwaukee, right? Like, that would just be so much of a, of a tougher fit. Not, like, obviously because him and Giannis would need the ball in their hands a lot, but because Giannis can't spread the floor, it would just be it would be ugly. And I think the way that Embiid opens the floor up for other players, I mean, when you pair that with, with a guy like what Ben Simmons could be or another star, like, I think uh, the, the potential there is just is just huge if he's healthy. Yeah. Certainly. And Milwaukee is the other kind of the similar kind of elephant in the room just because they gave Toronto a a tough series last year. I thought they played well overall and Giannis is miles better than he was. Don Maker has not been nearly as good as he was in that series. And so where do they fit in? Who do they play against? Where is this going to go? And then they also, we talked about a little bit with the top teams getting guys back, but Jabari is huge for them because not only is he a very good player, but they've been dealing with forward depth and shot creation on the second unit and all these kind of things. And so depending on how Jason Kidd wants to use him, he can make them better. We don't know exactly when he's coming back, but just getting another capable player is going to be useful for them. And Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it kind of, it gives... Like, let's say, for example, that that Ben Simmons was on Milwaukee, right? Like, that would just be so much of a, of a tougher fit. Not, like, obviously because him and Giannis would need the ball in their hands a lot, but because Giannis can't spread the floor, it would just be, you know, it would be ugly. And I think the way that Embiid opens the floor up for, for, for other players, I mean, when you pair that with, with a guy like what Ben Simmons could be or another star, like, I think uh, the, the potential there is just is just huge if he's healthy. So, yeah, I'm excited to see where that goes and where all this movement happens. And then also... Just generally speaking, this has been a season where a lot of young or youngish players have been good in the first half of the season. Some have been very good. And so who keeps it up? Who tones it down? And what does that mean? You know, Aaron Gordon was on fire the first month of the season. He's still having a nice year, still having the best year of his career. His former teammate, Victor Oladipo, has taken it to a whole nother level this year. Giannis, we already talked about. And so those kind of guys, who keeps it up, who fault, who who lets down a little bit, and basically who's for real, because that doesn't necessarily affect whether, like, I don't think Indiana is going to win a playoff series, even if Victor Oladipo plays the way he's playing, but it's relevant for where they are moving forward and how they approach this offseason. Yeah, I think Oladipo's kind of become the convenient guy to, to to wonder about, and I think that's it's partially fair, but I think, you know, a lot of that just comes down to, like, the same thing with the Raptors. It's just because we haven't seen it before. I think at this point, it's... I don't know. Maybe we aren't long. Uh, we ha- we haven't gone long enough into the season, but the numbers he's putting up are just. I mean, like they're right on par with Kyrie and uh, and Demar. And the way he's doing, he's just like he's a, he's become a matchup nightmare. Like there's very like even if you put your best event on him, he, like he is faster than them. And if not, then if he's going to end up being bigger than them. And the way that he's he's run that offense is just like I just. I mean, I I, I just feel like we should be given some sort of reason that regression is coming before there should be speculation about whether it's coming, you know? You're right, and the conversation should be split into two. And it's the same thing with Jason Tatum, actually, to another guy who is outperforming expectations. And it's separating it into shooting and everything else. 
So the other elements of Odo Lodipo has been doing, he's looked way more dynamic with the ball in his hands and just making the right passes, creating separation. That stuff isn't going away. But he's shooting almost 42% from three this year. His career high is 36. If all you do is you take that a step back to 36, 37, then he's a way less productive player. And so you want to temper those two things. And so what I've been having challenges with, with him and with Tatum, is let's say that's what happens. Let's say all of the other creation, I mean, Tatum has been better. His handle is way sharper than I thought it was going to be at this stage. He's not settling in the same way. Stevens deserves credit for that. So, okay, let's let's say that everything else stays the same and the shooting goes back to a reasonable level. There's still a really uh, valuable player. I would say in Oladipo's case, in that circumstance, he becomes, instead of being a surefire all-star, maybe like a fringe all-star. You know, like right now, like I, I have him, I had, I think I had him on an all-NBA team last, last, when we, Nate and I did our awards last month. He's not in that realm if you drop his, drop his three-point shooting a little bit, but he's still a really, really good player. And the same is true with Tatum. So, I think that it is fair, and sometimes people see three-point shooting as everything. It certainly is not, and the underlying, like, the bones of them as players are are looking very good. Right. Speaking about Tatum's Tatum's ball handling, did you watch the game against the Pelicans yesterday? I watched a portion of it, but not the entire thing. Okay. He, I think there, I think it was in the second quarter, he put Drew Holiday just, like... Oh, the one where he shook him? Yeah, that was great. Yeah, that was just like, oh my god. Well, and so, and that ties in. So Tatum, like early on, the the stuff about how he idolized Kobe freaked me out because Kobe, you think of late career Kobe and the guy, because that's kind of part of it was what Tatum looked like in summer league was he was very comfortable taking bad shots. And so there are elements of there are elements of Kobe that are that are positive, and you know, like he's a dominant scorer and the things that he could do. And then there are elements of old career Kobe that you don't want. And what has been really impressive with Tatum is that he turned the elements in terms of skill development, getting better with the ball in his hands, moving it when he doesn't have something, competing on defense. He's been able to put all those things out there and take away the parts of that that looked more concerning. Like the idea was always like the the concern was that he would be a square peg in a round hole, that he wouldn't be able to to do that. And it's not, you know, you don't want to read into 40 something games to say that's the way he is, but we have a really good sample now to say those concerns. It's not that they were poorly founded because I think they were well-founded because that's the player he had been, but those concerns should be minimized if not eliminated entirely. Right. And I think, first of all, I want to say, I agree with, with your, with your point about, you know, separating the percentages and, uh, and and the skill development, I think uh, I think you put it really well, and that's kind of like the struggle that uh, that seems to be happening with with a lot of the discussion around these around these two guys. And yeah, like I think the, the thing with Tatum is like we're finding it's kind of like you kind of wonder which side of it it, it is. Like, is he like this because he's like this, or is it because he's playing in Brad Stevens' system and you know he's he's playing alongside another amazing scorer that kind of really that helps him and takes attention off of him. We don't really necessarily know. Like, would he? Let's say he was in Donovan Donovan Mitchell's position with the Jazz. Like maybe there are some of the things that you're getting squeamish about that are that are actually happening, and you know it's hard to say. But it, at the same time, like you just see just the the level of ease that he that he plays with when he's when he's on the court. Like he plays like a vet, you know. 
And there aren't too many moments where I feel like, oh, Tatum shouldn't have taken that shot. Like, of course, it happens it happens on occasion. It happens with everybody. But, uh, you know, his ability to just, like, reset, make the extra pass or, you know, the amount of times that he goes without touching the ball. I think, he, in fact, like, he should be he should be shooting it a lot more than he is, actually. So, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it'll take seeing him in a couple of years to see, like, where his actual mentality is with the kind of thing. But right now, it seems like he's kind of hit the perfect balance. He has. And that is always a risky proposition. The guy that I always think of with this is OJ Mayo. And so OJ Mayo had been the best player on basically every team he had ever played on until he got to the NBA. And it was always, you know, unless he reached like the top 10% of his outcomes, it was going to be the case that he wasn't going to be the best player on his team. And so it didn't seem like he could handle that, you know, that, that that he could get into it. He also didn't develop as much. And you could talk about the work ethic. Darius Miles is another example of this. And so that's why I always worry about those guys. And those worries are not there anymore whatsoever for Jason Tatum. He has fit in so well with what Boston is doing. And yes, they're going to be very different next year or late this year. Who knows when Gordon Hayward gets back? Like there, there are going to be different mouths to feed. The ball movement is going to be different. There, it's just that's the way this is when you add in another good player who's good with the ball in his hands. But Tatum has shown, as Jalen Brown has shown, the ability to embrace that sort of a role. And for Boston to reach their ceiling, whatever that ceiling is, they needed that to happen. And so, yes, they've been way better than a lot of us anticipated when Gordon Hayward went down with an injury. And that is good. The wins and losses are. But those guys having high ceilings, but being willing to embrace smaller roles as warranted by the system is a bigger victory than the wins they have on the on the ledger right now. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. There's no questioning that. And Boston, I mean, I, I know people get mad at me because I'm, I'm critical of certain elements of, of where this is going. Like, the good thing that they have is they have a lot of assets still, fewer because of what they gave up to get Kyrie, and Kyrie's looking great, so you can talk about how that's worth it. Mm-hmm. But these guys fit in relatively well. So like the idea of if they got AD or whatever else, well, you, whoever, you know, the idea of getting the next James Harden, whoever that is, you know, like they have, they have a pretty nice asset base to, to make that happen. But another part of that is that you have to have the surrounding talent that makes sense, or you need to have the openness to get the talent. And that's what Maury did right in Houston was he had it open enough that once they figured out who Harden was, they could build around it. And so they got Nene as kind of a role player, you know, Eric Gordon is such a wonderful fit for what they're doing. Ryan Anderson, you know, those sorts of things. Like, there are two different ways to do it. And the way it looks like Boston is, if they can make that trade, and who knows if they're if that player is even going to become available, is they have a reasonable belief that the other guys are going to make sense. So that And that's a good sales pitch, because while they don't have cap space, generally speaking, you can't acquire a player of that caliber without them buying in. And so I, I'm encouraged by that. We just have to see the opportunity present itself because with the extension system fixed for elite guys now, it's a different conversation. And like, there's a reason we haven't seen a marquee, you know, MVP potential talent player traded since James Harden because those trades don't happen very often. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I'd, I'd add to that is... Uh... They also, just the way the roster is constructed, there's very few players, like, I can't even, like, I, I really can't even think of one player who wouldn't really fit their system and, and their personnel because, I mean, the Celtics are, there's Kyrie Irving, and then there's, like, so I guess, I mean, the most you could say is, like, another, you don't want to get, like, another combo guard in there or something. So, like, you know, it's it's Kyrie, it's, it's a bunch of 3 and D guys, and there's Al Horford, who is one of the most 
like adaptable and smart high IQ players that there that there is in the NBA and kind of like defensively too he can he can do some switching and he can like he really really covers the backside well against you know let's say they bring in a guy that's not really necessarily like a good defender I don't really know who that would be but like he's he can do it on both sides and he can kind of like have adaptability there so it seems like the stage would be set for for Boston kind of like the way that the Warriors were before they got Durant not to not to compare those teams but just you know the way way that they were kind of set up to be a team that you know they could kind of like take any sort of personnel on they can and it, it happens that a lot of the best players that are out there you know that that they would be looking at are in the more forward to center range like those are they're guys who are six six or taller so that does tie in well with where it would be we just have to see if that person comes and who it is and that's going to take some time anything else oh, go ahead there is actually a new wrinkle in the Rockets Clippers locker room fiasco. Okay. Mark Stein just tweeted that he's hearing strongly that Clint Capella was not the Rocket who appeared at the Clippers locker room doorway Monday night. Belief is now that it was Tariq Black and not in any sort of diversionary tactic. Okay. You know, there is always the kind of the, the fog that surrounds these sort of things. It could also be, I, I my instinct as soon as they said the whole, like, Chris Paul wasn't the ringleader was that they didn't want him to get suspended. But it could also be reality. Like, you have, you have to parse all that, and that's why these NBA investigations take so long. But, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting, and it's un- unfortunate that it, some of it might tie in with the Rockets Warriors game on Saturday. Though again, this is early, too early to read much into that. Oh, if the you know, it's not like if the Rockets or the Warriors win that game, we're going to be making big reads on on where that is as, as a series. But it would have been nice to see. All right, but it would have been nice to see. And it kind of just goes back to the the whole thing that we haven't really been able to see anything this season. So everyone's kind of still laying in wait to to an extent. Like I think the most at least like playoffs wise, most interesting game I watched was Celtics versus Warriors this season. Everything else is kind of like oh, I don't really know what's going on, but. To back to the logistics of the whole scenario, which I think is really the most important thing here. This actually kind of confirms a theory that I had. My original theory was actually what you said that hearing that Chris Paul and James Harden weren't involved and that it was mostly a reason they were trying to stop him was kind of just like, eh, I don't know about that. Uh, like probably they just don't want those guys getting suspended. <laughs> Maybe this is part of it. And they're like, oh, wait, Capella's really important too. He wasn't there. But if, if you're going to believe what they had to say, my theory is that Ariza was super mad and Ariza played for the Lakers. So he knows about the secret tunnel too. So he probably like tried to rush in there. And then Chris Paul, obviously also knowing about this secret tunnel because he played in the Staples Center as well, runs after him. He's like, no, no. And then, you know, a couple other guys follow just as backup until like, you know, how about with the situation? And the only... Pr- Thing that was that was a problem with that theory was that I just had no ex- explanation for the Clint Capella thing, which is, I mean, the most hilarious thing ever. The type of thing that you know nobody really could ever have an explanation for, other than that they were actually you know trying to rush to a locker room with five people, which you know as tantalizing as that scenario is, probably not true. So. This kind of this kind of clears things up. Now we just have to know why, what Tariq Black was doing there. Yeah, and and it also like the the internal consistency of the player who looked the most frustrated on the court being the player who was initiating that being Trevor Reza make that part makes internal sense. 
Right. And Dark Black also played for the Lakers, so he also would theoretically know about the the back passageways as well. But but you could see just and and this especially if it wasn't planned that it could be something like that that he was mad and and wanted to do something like that. Also, he wasn't involved in hostility, so it could have even been that his approach was something different. That it could have been maybe that he wanted to just clear the air or something like that. We don't we don't exactly know. But the fortunate thing is that the NBA will get to the bottom of it. And the other fortunate part of it is it's kind of the silly season at the point when the silly season is appropriate. If this sort of crap is happening in the playoffs, I won't appreciate it. But for right now, this is the part of the year that other than the trade deadline for cap nerds like me can be sort of the doldrums and anything that makes the doldrums more interesting. I'm hundred percent on board. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is, uh, this was supposed to be kind of like the boring part and maybe this is happening because it is like kind of the boring part of the season. Everybody's cabin fever. So they're just constantly like getting into fights. I mean, Kyle Lowry and Ben Simmons like had like, shared some words on the court and then, um, you know, they were sweet in the, another tunnel. And that was like not even, not even part of the coverage because of everything that happened after. I think everybody's just a little bit bored. Also, the, what's called the sex appeal of that is very different than the Lakers and, the Lakers and Rockets who have so many established players and are, are more famous. But yeah, I mean, the Lowry Simmons thing was definitely interesting. And that could actually be a playoff series. So it could come into play. Of course, Clippers Rockets could be as well. So, a lot to look forward to. Anything else that you're going to be really watching for the next, I don't know, few weeks, month, whatever? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think we, I mean, we covered both the teams in the league, right? So I think we got it. Yeah, the only other one I'm not going to go into too much depth is Oklahoma City, like just figuring out what they are. I don't think they're going to make any big moves at the deadline, but their ceiling is still crazy high. So so where this goes with them, and I, I'm excited to see it. And now with Kawhi, you know, we don't, we don't know exactly what it's going to be with him. The possibility of a Spurs-Thunder first-round series is absolutely insane. That would be crazy because I thought it was going to be Wolves-Thunder for a long time and that the Spurs were going to figure this out, but maybe that's not going to be it. But either way, with those three, if we're going to get two of those three teams, in a first round series, that's going to be the best first round series on the board. Yeah, and even even if Kawhi isn't, I mean, let's really really hope he's back for the playoffs. But you know, we don't really know what indefinitely means. But even if he isn't back, I mean, we could still really hypothetically see that series uh, being really entertaining. And you know, it, it could be just like the gambit of Pop's career. I mean, not you know, he's had much more important moments in winning a first round series. But you know, let, like, what if they win? You know, <laughs> they could. They could. It'd be a lot of fun. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, you too. Thank you for having me. Thanks again to Sirat Sohi for taking the time to come on. You can read her at her regular tip-off columns at SB Nation, her Raptors stuff at The Athletic. Toronto does a great job there. And then when she has the chance to, she writes amazing features. Those can be wherever. I mean, she's done some great stuff for Rolling Stone. She's done some for ESPN, Bleacher, all sorts of other places. And you can also, of course, follow her at Damian Triller, D-A-M-I-A-N-T-R-I-L-L-A-R-D. Still one of my favorite handles that exists on there. And yeah, I really enjoyed the conversation. It's, it was fun to go in all of those different directions at the same time. And this has been out there a little bit on, on Twitter. I talked about it on Thursday where I'm not sure how much this is going to affect your lives, but Real GM Radio is now a part of the Podcast One network. It is very exciting for me because they're, you know, they're, they're a big player in this business and I'm excited for the opportunity to work with them and see where this goes. And uh, it's our preliminary conversations and everything have been wonderful. But I also want to thank CLNS Media, who I've been with for most of the time this podcast has run. I think over two years. I don't know the exact timing of it. And Nick Gelso and everybody over there does fantastic work. It was just an opportunity that the real GM Brass and I didn't feel that we could pass up. It was hard to leave, but 
it was there. So one basic question that can be asked is, what does this mean in terms of, of you, the listener? And the answer is, I don't exactly know yet. I mean, Podcast One has been wonderful and supportive in terms of the content itself. That I, I expect to be there. The hope is that it can be, you know, that we have enough ads to make it worth my while, to make it worth everyone's while. And the other benefit for those who are like, oh, more ads in it, that's a bad thing. Well, the good thing is if we get enough of them, then I will be open to doing a second episode either per week or, or when permitted. And that's really exciting. There's so much content as, as much as some people are like, God, how do you produce, to produce so much stuff? There's so much more that I would love to do if the opportunity can present itself and if we can do that. So that is a hope. We'll, we'll see where this goes. It might create some cool cross-pollination opportunities, things like that. We're still working through that with Podcast One, but I'm thrilled about the possibility. As always, there are a lot of ways that you can support the show. You can leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast player of your choosing. It's great if it's iTunes because they're still very, very big for, for our business. You can also subscribe, download every episode, great things to support. And of course, you can check out our sponsors for this episode. That is Simple Contacts, simplecontacts.com slash RealGM or the RealGM promo code gets you $30 off your first order, which is fantastic. And their vision test is only $20. You can do it in less than five minutes. It gets checked by a doctor. You can do it over your phone or on the computer. I wish it had been around when I did my last visit check because that's fantastic. If you have any feedback on the show, good, bad, or indifferent, you can always reach out, NBA at gmail.com. That's the far superior way, but at DanielLaru on Twitter if you really, really want to. And yeah, I mean, it, it's fun to be really back in the saddle doing this show, doing everything else because it's a fun time. I mean, we're trying to really figure out where, where everything is going. And this podcast is a great way to talk with intelligent people and have some of the clarifying conversations. And that's was always part of the idea of doing the show. And it's something that I hope to continue in this new-ish iteration of it. And I'm so excited to be with Podcast One. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make a great day. Thunderstruck, adjective, shocked and amazed by the power of carnival fun. It's what happens when you ride Bolt, the world's first sea coaster. When you island hop till you drop. Thunderstruck! When you book four massages back to back, back to back. Get Thunderstruck starting at 289. Carnival, choose fun. Cruises are in U.S. dollars per person, double occupancy, taxes, fees, and port expenses additional. Restrictions apply. Full details on Carnival.com, Ships Registry, Bahamas, Panama. Whenever you look for news, you may feel forced to choose between partisans in mainstream media and conspiracists in alternative media. That's where the lost debate steps in. I'm Corey Bradford, a progressive political organizer turned TikTok star who also once hosted a Fox News radio show. I'm Ricky Schlatt, a Gen Z New York Post columnist and libertarian fighting to protect free speech. And I'm Ravi Gupta, a former staffer for Obama and school principal who also fought alongside Republicans on charter schools. 
And we launched The Lost Debate, a podcast and YouTube show for the political eclectics who've lost trust in a polarizing partisan world, but who also reject the disinformation and manipulation in alternative media. Instead of being at each other's throats, we focus on bringing new perspectives to the table in constructive debate that sounds less like crossfire and more like discussions between real people. Check out The Lost Debate on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts.